How am I even supposed to thrive when I can't do anything? Today we spoke to Steve Kelly, who is the vicar of St. Charles Church in Northampton. Yeah, Steve's a good friend of ours, good friend of mine, and as a fellow church leader, I know that he's got loads of insight, and particularly right now, into what it means when things stop, and when we have to stop in so many ways, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Yeah, he spoke about how Jesus really desires for us, for us to have a life to, the, to live life to the fullest, as opposed to just having a life that's full. And so as those full things get stripped away, how does that take us back to Jesus and let us operate out of a stillness inside? If you want to know more about that, find out what he's on about, then have a listen. I know you're going to enjoy it. Hi, Steve. Thanks for joining us. We've been, we've been really looking at what it means to thrive in a time of crisis. Um, and we were talking uh, last week about what it means to be present in the presence of God and we wonder if you could elaborate a little bit on that for us. So I guess the first question is how how do you do you think we can thrive in this time and what's your thoughts around our little title there? Well the word thriving is is an interesting word isn't it and I, I was wondering whether that word actually exists in the Bible or not but uh, the verse that came to my mind was when Jesus says you know I've come that you might have life and might have it in all its fullness and so I guess that to me sounds like you know thriving um, I think one of the challenges for us is that that's the promise of Jesus, life in all its fullness. And often we have lives that are very full of stuff. <laughs> and, uh, we're not necessarily thriving. Uh, so I guess part of the question is, what does Jesus want to give us? What kind of life has he got on offer? And are we, are we taking hold of it? So I suppose the challenge sometimes is to go back and, and actually sort of think about what Jesus is offering how can we enter into that how can we therefore live out the kind of life that he is offering us and uh, maybe a season like this is just a welcome opportunity for us to stop and think about what are our lives full of are our lives do we have in our lives things that are life-giving are they the priorities that Jesus has for us are we pursuing uh, the things that he wants for us and I think if we're doing that, I think there's much more possibility that actually we will be thriving in what we're doing. You only have thought and it flies away. Oh, we'll trim that <laughs> Um Yeah, I mean, I love that. What an amazing thought that, that yeah, Jesus wants us to have, uh, uh, what do you say, <laughs> a life that's full, but our life is full of stuff. That's, mm. that's a tweetable quote. That, that's, going, <laughs> that's going on somewhere. Um, yeah, how, how interesting. Do you, how, what do you think that we should, how should we be responding then, do you think, right now, uh, as a result of that, with that in mind? Well, I mean, I could probably only answer to start with, which is how have I been responding uh, to that, which is yeah. that, um, I mean, part of my temperament is that when things go wrong or when a crisis comes or when you come up against an obstacle, rather than putting my head down and charging through it or sticking my chest out and saying, I'm going to beat this, I, I tend to stop. I tend to be a person who stops to kind of think, what, what, is the, what is the right way into this? What's the right way through it? Um, and I suppose, you know, Christians down through the, you know, down through the centuries, the, the, the place where we most often learn to stop is, is, is when we pray. Because, you know, 
prayer is not just about what we say and the style and whatever, but prayer is a kind of a posture before God where, where we come to God and say, Lord, I don't know what to do in this situation, or I need your guidance, I need your help, or Lord, what are you saying to us through that situation? So I suppose for me, the response initially is to stop. And the natural place to stop is to take that posture of prayer and, and to come to God. Um, and so I suppose I, I find myself doing that as this situation began to unfold. You know, we've got this crisis around us. We, we can all decide what we're going to do. We can reel against it. We can swing into action. We can charge around trying to help people. We can, you know, get online and start broadcasting stuff. But uh, I, I suppose I tend to be, by temperament, somebody who just sort of says, right, let's stop, let's think, let's pray. What do we do? And then I suppose that the things that then unfolded from that kind of came out of that place of just engaging with God and listening to other people, you know, listening to other people who were speaking about this kind of crisis and, and trying to ask the question, I wonder where are the prophetic voices? Where are the people who are tuning into God? And so for me, gradually, a kind of a response began to form about how to approach this crisis and do you, do you think that as you've done that during this and as you've taken that time, do you think that God's spoken to you in terms of, do you think that God's given you something to hold on to during this? Sure, sure, yeah, definitely. I felt that, you know, I mean, when we pray, it's usually with the Bible beside us, isn't it? Or, or a Bible in our hands. And early on in this crisis, I, I felt drawn to that passage where Elijah goes off to a cave. You know, he's, he's by himself. He's... He's just, you know, he's downhearted, isn't he? He's depressed, you know, and he thinks, you know, and he's, and he's kind of giving it one and, and he's complaining to God. Um, you know, and then you have this lovely passage where it says there was, there was an earthquake, you know, there was fire. Um, was it thunder was the other thing? Yeah. Um, and it says that God wasn't in any of those things. Um, and then it says there was a still small voice. And it was in the still small voice that Elijah recognized God's speaking at that time. And I felt God saying to me right at the beginning, you know, you want to see and hear all sorts of things. That There'll be all sorts of things that will be in your face. But listen carefully so that when I speak in a still small voice, you're still enough and attentive enough to hear what I'm saying. So that was something that I felt God say right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that helped me to just position myself. And, and of course, it meant that I suppose that God was bringing me back to, therefore, it's really important that I do pray and listen. So, yeah, it's been a, it's, it's, it kind of started with that invitation around the still small voice. And I've kind of tried to pursue that. In, in that passage in Elijah, um, it's really interesting. I love it. We just, I just read it and just studied it in the course that I'm doing. But uh, he's completely and utterly hopeless, isn't he? He's he's lost in what he's doing. He feels like there's just nothing. I think he actually asks God to take him away, sort of thing. What is um, that for me? Yeah, to yeah. take his life away. Um, but then right at the end, it gets this point where God actually says, look, you're focusing on the wrong thing because there's actually still these believers. There's actually still hope here that you've missed. So I, I think that that's really key for all of yeah. us as we're, as we're at home and as we're just sitting in this crisis, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I kind of love that. I love what you just said there about, you know, Elijah, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Mm. 
And I think that that's really, really important. And it's been interesting to watch how different people have responded in this crisis. You know, what are we focusing on? And, and of course, we tend to focus on the things that give us value or make us feel productive. Or, you know, we do things so that at the end of the day, we can stand back and say, yeah, I did that. I did a good job. I produced that webcast or whatever. And, then, you know, the question that you're just sort of raising there is, are we focusing on the right things? Yes. And too often, you know, it's back to this thing, but what are our lives full of? And, you know, we're, we can all slip into that trap of filling our lives with the things that make us feel significant or important or you know, and so much of the world around us, people are valued on the basis of what they do. Mm. And part of the biblical narrative is to bring us back to focus on, on the things that God values mm. and how he sees us. And there's lots of places in the scriptures where we're, we're called back to that, aren't we? So yeah, focusing on the right things is, is kind of really, really important. Yeah, as a slight story from my life is that so I've just done six months away um, with YWAM, which is Youth with a Mission, um, doing missions work and doing work for the kingdom of God. And we did, we did a couple of months of outreach. And there was one month where we went all out. We were telling people all about Jesus. We were doing stuff at schools and we were helping support people. And then actually I got ill the next week and I was completely bedridden. And so this whole, the, the weeks before, I'd totally been... Like, like, yes, God must be so proud of me. And I'm so proud of myself. Like, I'm doing such a great job. And actually, I had sort of a crisis then in that moment when I was bedridden that, oh, no. <laughs> now, now, how, what am I worth? What, I'm not even doing anything. I'm not even doing anything for God. So even that God doesn't value, God doesn't, it's not about valuing our actions, even if they're considered holy or right. But actually that God values us as people and i think that leads on to a question about what do you think of this phrase um should we be human beings or human doings what does that look like well i think you know i think i think the activists around would would always be kind of complaining that the contemplatives you know um the contemplatives are always going on about being you know um and the activists are complaining yeah but you know you're you're kind of not going to achieve anything. And then the contemplatives are always complaining about the activists and sort of saying, you know, you're always charging around doing things. <laughs> you know, and I think we have to recognize that by, by temperament and by, call, you know, by calling on our lives and gifting, some of us will lean more to a more contemplative approach or, you know, which is, which is the kind of classic being. But, but some of us will lean more um, and to be more activist, um, but I don't. I don't think it is an either or. I think. I think it's a question of what's the kind of ground of your life. What's the motivation? What's the what's the source and what's the fountain that it's all springing from? You know. Mm-hmm. You know. You know. We all know the story of Martha and Mary. You know. And um, you know, Martha. Martha's running. She's running around the kitchen doing stuff, and and Jesus praises Mary. You know, because she's sitting at his feet. And, you know, I don't think that Jesus is saying to Mary and Martha, forget the dishes, come and sit here, this is most important. I think he's saying this is um, this is where it all begins. It begins at the feet of Jesus. It begins making him our priority. 
and then the kind of the dishes, the activity and everything are to flow from that. Because if, you know, if both Mary and Martha sat down and nobody did the dishes, you know, they, they would pile up and it wouldn't be very long before everybody would be complaining. So, you know, we, we can't retreat into just being, mm. nor should we just fill our lives with doing. But I think there is, I mean, I don't quite know the best way to express it, but I feel that God wants us to have a still center in our lives where we're content just to be his children, to be loved by him and to be in his presence, to enjoy the life of prayer. And for that to be enough, you know, that we, we get our sense of identity and our sense of significance out of being children who can just rest in his presence. So we're not, we're not driven into action. We're, we're not, we're not doing what we're doing to try and impress God or to twist his arm. You know, we are just content. We're his children. But I think that if we, you know, if we deepen our life in God, if we're on intimate terms with God and we make it a priority to spend time with him, that will lead us into activity. Because, you know, we know that God's heart beats with love for a hurting world. We know that God's heart beats for those that are lost and don't know him. So it will lead us into action. But I think that action that's fueled by prayer is very different to action that's fueled by our need to be needed. Yeah, that's that's really good, I think. And certainly I, I would probably fall on the more activist side uh, in comparison to you. And, and as a church leader, then similarly, you know, that sense of, of drive to in a new in a crisis my response is definitely when a crisis comes it's not it's not stopping that's not my default leaning it's it's okay what needs to do what do we need to do next what do we need to change what's the next exciting thing that we can do um and, and run you know run around to, to do that and um i think yeah so I'm very aware of the difference in my own response to that and i guess the challenge of of what you're saying is very real i think particularly when you can look around and compare with other people. Oh, goodness, they're doing this, they're doing that. And I guess that maybe that begins to reveal this sense of comparison or proving yourself, you know, that the still centre changes, speaks to, I guess. Yeah. Letting it flow from the right place, which is what you're saying. Yeah. I'm reminded of a story in Stephen Cottrell's book. It's called Hit the Ground Kneeling. And, and, and the story, start, the, the book starts with a very interesting story. And it's about these kids who are on a scout camp. And there's a, there's a kid, I think he either falls or he runs into somebody and he, you know, he, he collapses, he's on the ground, you know, he's totally out of it. So this child goes running to get the camp leader to basically say, you know, come and see, come and see, come and see, you know, this person's really ill. And the camp leader walks from his tent to, to where the boy is. And um, anyway, he, he, um, he's able to, you know, he's able to attend to the boy and so on. And and then this person asked him afterwards, you know, what, you know, there was no sense of urgency. What, you know, why didn't you rush to get there as quickly as possible? And he said two things. He said, he said, I needed to give myself time to think because I knew that my first action might be a life-saving action. And then he said, and also the second thing I thought was when I get there, he may need mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, and I don't want to be exhausted when I get there. Uh-huh. Wow. And it's quite, it's quite a powerful little story, which just sort of says that we've got to make sure that our first actions are the right actions. 
mm. in any situation. And so we need to give ourselves, whether we're an activist or a com contemplative, I think we need to give ourselves time to make sure that our actions are the right actions. So that's a little story that kind of came to mind. But I think, Mark, your thing about comparisons, I think, I mean, it's the kind of disease of the modern world, isn't it? Yes, yes. Because we're under so much pressure. We have a Facebook profile. You know, we're encouraged to kind of tweet our thoughts. You know, where people We've got are a little like, counter as well, haven't we? We've got a counter to see how many yeah. people have clicked things and, and done so it. Really, it, it really feeds into that whole cult of broadcasting ourselves mm. and of course as soon as you do that you know you immediately sort of look at other people and the temptation for all of us right across society is to, is to compare ourselves to other people and therefore to then begin to change things to be more like others um, but I mean I, th I think Rick, Rick Warren sort of says you know why are you trying to be a copy of somebody else when God has made you an original <laughs> yeah nice you know, and some are more uh, original than others. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, we're. I told I looked like you my whole life. <laughs> I mean, we're we're all flawed, and we want we want the Holy Spirit to be changing us to be more and more like Jesus. But the starting point is a theology that says, "I'm made in the image of God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows me. He saw me in the mother's womb, and he made me a certain way. And therefore, I think I view that is that." My calling, therefore, is to be more fully the person that God made me to be, and, in the, and then in my journey of life to become more and more like Jesus in character and temperament and, and in what I do. And, but I mean, you know, that, I, don't, I don't mean to say that's easy, because mm. we all have these areas of hurt or insecurities or disappointments, you know, and when we, when we see other people doing things and we think, oh, that looks great. I wish I could do that. It, you know, it taps into that bit of us um, which feels insecure or, or needs to be loved or liked. And I suppose that's where we need each other because, you know, if, if left to our own devices, we can all walk down that road. But if we're in kind of accountable relationships, then we, we need to keep reminding us, us, we need to keep reminding one another that we're saved by grace. You know that we're we're children of God on the basis of what He's done for us, not on the basis of what we've done for Him. Very good. You know, I mean, you know, we we, we all remember the Philip Yancey book. What's so amazing about grace? You know, well, what is so amazing about grace is that He loves you as you are, and you know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the starting point. Is that we don't need to do anything to get God to love us or like us. We we need to receive that as a gift. And if we start, and it's a bit like having that as your kind of starting point. It's so life-giving and freeing and liberating. Really thriving. Sounds like thriving. Sounds like thriving yeah. to me. <laughs> you know, it sounds, it sounds a bit like life in all its fullness. Or... Yeah, yeah, it does. It sounds close. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Like we, or especially my generation, but I think it spreads to all at the moment, is that especially while we're cooped up at home where we're waiting for people to like our things that we post and the things that we comment on. Um, we're like holding on to, it feels like encouragement. That's the trick, isn't it? it, it in your head, you go, Oh, that, yeah, someone else is like, that's encouraging. But really the encouragement that you get from a true community, um, the encouragement that you can get from a church or from your f proper, proper friendships means so much more on, on that scale, doesn't it? Yeah. really equips even that even that encouragement equips you to live life to the fullest yeah 
Well, I've been, I mean, I've been thinking quite a bit about the word affirmation again recently. Uh, interestingly, you know, one of the challenges I found through this season is that, um, you know, we're not meeting together with others. We're not worshipping. You know, I'm not standing at the front of church preaching or leading a service. And I'm not getting those little, you know, those little strokes and those little great <laughs> talk and, you know, people shaking your hands at the end of a service and sort of saying, great service, Steve, you know. Um, so it's that's forced me to confront for myself, you know, how I'm doing uh, without that. And a bit like a bit like you were saying, you know, those things are a bit like the Facebook likes. You know, yeah. they're just temporary. They're they're just transient. They're they're just what somebody says in a moment. But I, but I think the deepest need in the human heart is is to be affirmed and valued and loved. And that's that's so much more than just a like on my post because. You know, that post will be just gone. Within an hour, that post will be gone. And that life will be gone. And we, we need something in our hearts and lives which are just more, more substantial than that. You know, and, Very good. and I often think that the whole ministry of Jesus begins with his baptism. You know, and the Holy Spirit comes. Yeah. And then the Father says, this is my son whom I love. And I'm pleased with him. And I, I think that's his launch pad, is the voice of the father saying, this is my son and I love him. And that's before he's done a miracle, before he's done a healing, before he's preached. It's that word from heaven. And I think that's affirmation. Yeah. And I think we, we need those true, deep words of affirmation. And they have to be spoken person to person, heart to heart, God to us, us to one another. And I think. Yeah, if we could just have that culture of affirming one another for who we are and what we see in one another, and that we're, you know, we're flawed, but we're beloved children of God, I, I think that that's, that's what we all need. And yeah, I find myself coming back to that in this season when I'm, I'm cut off from people. I don't have those hugs and handshakes and well dones. Um, but I think that if we, if we have those words of affirmation in our hearts, then I think that gives us a firm place to stand. It's that commission in, uh, not quite commission, I don't know if that's the right word. It's that bit in the New Testament that says they'll know us by our love. And that's, that's what we're trying to live up. You know, on Facebook, the reactions, they've changed it now. You've got different ones like uh, sad, like all of these, and one of them's love. And actually, I hate that one of them's love. Yeah. Because, Why? Because, because it means nothing. You click a button. <laughs> That's not what love is, I, I don't think. I think <laughs> love is so much more powerful than that. So on this, uh, I'm just thinking about, I mean, our setup for um, this podcast, what we kind of said is we wanted, we're, we're in lockdown, we're shielding um, as a family, which means we're not even going outside of our gate. Um, and, you know, this sense where things have been stripped away, which you've indicated with, you know, simple things like being in, in a church gathering and doing the, the normal stuff, you know, that and, and how that can give you value and we can get value from those things. But when those things are chopped away, I guess you're kind of saying that that becomes a gift to us that, to refine um, that core, that centre that you're talking about of identity and, and the affirmation that comes from God's yes over our life, I suppose, as, a, as opposed to those things. So it's an opportunity. Is that is that fair? I don't want to just simply say yes, because it would make it sound easy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I, think, I, I think that is part of the goal. That is part of the, 
life in all its fullness. I, I do think there is a genuine invitation coming from Jesus, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I think that invitation absolutely stands. Um, and I think that if we will respond to that invitation, if we can embrace what we've been talking about, I, I think it is a way through this and it's a way on. And I think it's a way to, to see things stripped back and to get reshaped so that out the other side of this crisis, we'll be less attached to the sorts of things that we've been talking about and more grounded in God. But I think it does involve some decisions and it does involve some pruning uh, and it does involve some choices. And, and that's, there's a bit of hard work in that, you know. Yeah. So I don't, want, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy. And, and maybe, maybe that's why God is holding us in this place for a bit longer. Because we have been so steeped in a culture which values us based on what we do. And, and we're, we're so steeped in the kind of values that are around us that, you know, it doesn't just take a kind of a, you know, a quiet day or a couple of weeks in lockdown to, to untangle ourselves. I think, I think it is, it is a challenge, yeah. you know, um, you know, John 15, my father's the gardener, you know, and he prunes us so that we'd be more fruitful. Well, pruning is, is painful, mm. you know, and it, and it involves cutting away things that, you know, are growing. So, I, I mean, I think we just need to go with it. I think we need to be as open as we can in this season to allow God to do his work. And I think, I think each one of us in different ways have got to try and embrace it, you know. And um, so, Mark, you know, you know we, we've talked about the John Mark Comer book, you know. Um, you know, when he the, talked uh, about... The ruthless elimination of hurry, isn't it? That's... The ruthless elimination of hurry, you know. And, and, and he, he's talking about kind of, about how might we develop a rule of life which would, which would give us some shape to our lives so that the life of God that we've been talking about can, can be more fully, more fully at work. But it involves habits and practices which don't come easy, you know. Yeah. The word disciple and the word discipline are pretty, pretty close together. Um, so do you think, does, does that come out of something, you know, the biblical idea of Sabbath, um, is that all linked with this, this sense of rhythm in the week, I suppose, is what that's about. But there's an extension of that a little bit to try and develop a rhythm of life that gets in step with God. I mean, I think, I think all the great spiritual teachers tell us that we need some shape to our lives so that the work of God can go deep in us. And I think that we need to recognise that Sabbath is right there at the very beginning of the creation story. And... I think the trouble is that in our modern world, or even even in the church, you know, we we tend to we put this very impoverished view of Sabbath. So either it's a day off or a day of rest, um, or else it's the day that we charge around doing church. You know, <laughs> and, and neither of those ideas really capture, I think, what God intended, which is that Sabbath is a gift. You know, so again, we're back to this idea of grace. So Sabbath is an invitation to put things down and to trust God and to trust that he's going to look after us and to kind of receive Sabbath as a gift from him. And again, it's back to this idea that we, in order to receive what God wants to give us, we need to put down the things that we're doing and kind of come to him with open hands to receive what he wants. And, and, and that, I mean, that can be an incredibly rich thing. You know, it, 
it can be receiving rest, you know, it can be receiving fresh air, the beauty of nature, it can be receiving a really good book, it, it can be receiving silence and stillness, it can be receiving a time of worship, it can be receiving communion, you know, it's, but it's fundamentally that posture before God that sort of says, you know what, I'm going to build this pattern into my life where I'm going to step off the treadmill and I'm going to come to you with hands that are open because you've got something, you've got a gift to give me today that's going to nourish me, it's going to remind me that I'm a child of God, it's going to remind me that everything in our Christian life is a gift anyway, yes. and it's going to remind me that I need God in my life. And so I think that that's what John Mark Coleman is trying to take us back to, to kind of, to kind of receive Sabbath again as a gift from God, and in the process, to slow down. And, you know, we live in a 24-7 culture where we treat human beings like, you know, like, um, like machines. We just keep going and keep going and keep going. But we do need to stop. You know, we need to recharge our batteries. But we need to keep coming back to this place of God is the source of my life. And I need to, you know, I need to stop thinking I can just keep going and going and going. I need to keep coming back to him to, you know, and Ruben, it's, it's what you sort of say. It's, it's to make sure that we keep coming back to make sure we have the right focus for our lives. And, uh, you know, so Sabbath does that. It, re, it re-roots us in God. It, 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 it comes back to sort of saying, I'm not just about a human doing, it's being and doing. And it's about having this right focus for our lives and just to keep in this kind of place of grace. I guess I read things as well, you know, in this sense of God's on the move. And maybe there's lots of people out there who are now praying when they haven't prayed before, or, you know, and, and that we need to be on the front foot as churches to help people and to support people in that. That sounds like an activist thing, you know, let's get in and do that and not miss the moment of what God's up to. And, and yet on the other hand, there's also this voice, which we're talking about today of the stripping back and the stopping to hear. Maybe that fits in with the, the contemplative and the activist side, but are there things we just need to stop or are there things that we need to be doing more of? Is it tension, those things? Uh, what should, you know, what, what should churches be doing, I suppose, at, at this time, in, in your opinion? Well, it's very interesting to go back to the Gospels and see how Jesus operated, isn't it? So, I mean, you know, we all know the story at the start of Mark. Um, Jesus has this whole day of, um, you know, healing and casting out demons. And, and then he gets up early the next day to pray. And then the disciples sort of say, come on, Lord, everybody's looking for you. And Jesus says, let's go somewhere else. Yeah. Now, that's, I think that's deeply challenging to us as leaders, because I think most of us would sort of say, great, bring it on. But I think that Jesus, Jesus got up early to pray because he wanted that sort of sense of discernment. What's the Father doing? I only do what I see the Father doing. So that when the, when the pressure came, he could make the right response. Mm. Now, we know as well then there are other stories where Jesus does something different. You know, like, um, you know, Jesus is on his way somewhere and the woman stops him and touches the hem of his garment. And he stops there and then and he ministers to her and he brings healing, you know. Um, And, you know, if we look at all these stories, there is no hard and fast rule about how Jesus responds, is there? Yes. It's like in every situation, 
Jesus is able to Jesus is able to respond in the right way. And so, I mean, he's living with all that tension. You know, he's surrounded by people who need healing. He's surrounded by people, you know, he comes to the, is it the Pool of Siloam? He comes to the Pool of Siloam. And then, and there's loads of people around and he heals one person. Yes. You know, he doesn't set up, he doesn't set up a tent mission. (laughs) and a, and a prayer ministry team. So I'm I'm kind of challenged by that. That, and I think that the reason must be because Jesus was committed to doing what he saw the Father doing. Hmm. So I think in this current season, you know, as leaders, we we've just got to do our best. We've got to give it our best shot. You know, we, we we've got to. Is standing still enough to know that we're not being driven by the impulse of the moment. Yeah. And and, and then we've we've just got to exercise our discernment, exercise our gifting, and try and go with go with the flow of the spirit as we see it working out. And and then see how we go, you know, and see what God is blessing in this season, you know, um, and, and and see what endures. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and try and get this picture of where in all of this is God leading us out of this lockdown and on into, you know, a pattern of church life that is going to reach out to the nation and bless, and bless others, but might in the process bring a bit of health and balance and power back to the church. Yeah, I think as you're speaking, I've got that verse in my head, seek his kingdom first and all else will be added to you. And I think that can mean two things. I think that can mean doing exactly what Jesus did, retreating to a lonely place, spending time with God and looking and saying, God, where are you? But I think also, I think it also means looking, okay, where is, where is already God at work? And I think that's, that that could be that prayer that, that people are searching. What even is prayer? What does that mean? Where like people are already searching outside of themselves. I need help. I I can't do this alone. Um, And I'm, I 100% believe that God's in that. I'm sure you guys do too. Yeah. Very good. Steve, thanks so much for uh, all of those things. There's so much in there and there's so much more that rabbit trails we could have taken off that. Um, But there's some, I think some really helpful insights in all of that and things that really speak into what we wanted to investigate today about thriving in a time of crisis. And uh, I particularly like where we started really that Jesus wants for us fullness of life, not lives that are full. Mm. And that there there is a time when the taking away of some of the fullness of our life in order to find the fullness that we can find in Jesus is, is a really profound thought. So uh, thank you very much. Superb uh, today. Thank you. Great. Good to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you, Steve. Thank you very much. Well, that was another good conversation with Steve. Uh, I like Steve, actually. He's a good guy. And I like his Northern Irish accent. It's, it's nice. Um, I've had, I used to work with some Northern Irish, Irish, Northern Irish guys, and um, they all could talk. That's all I'm saying. And I think Steve did a good job of talking <laughs> today. That was good. It was good. Um, but I thought he just set us off. That, his first quote, I think, is kind of, it's, it's a good tweetable quote, which is that Jesus wants us to have life to the full, rather than a full life. Yeah, absolutely. 
I loved how he spoke about Mary and Martha with, along with that as well that um, that in Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and she's not doing the dishes she's not getting involved like that but she's actually she's she's starting with Jesus and uh, and that maybe Martha has something to learn there as well but really if Martha wasn't doing the dishes then we could have an issue <laughs> yeah that's true he managed to really get this balance of going it's not one or the other but it's actually getting things in the right order I suppose wasn't it yeah yeah absolutely and talking about the difference I guess between you and him in this contemplative and uh, activist, activist yeah. um, type of mindset and what that means and what we should do <laughs> and how that looks right now as well yeah that was interesting I'm, I was I appreciated the fact that he didn't just you know tell the activist to stop <laughs> which is how it feels sometimes and uh yeah, and that, that inbuilt want, want to do something. It's not bad, is it? But it's just we understand that we both... Yeah, I appreciated that you brought both those things together and say both are important and need to learn from each other. Yeah. What about you, activist? Contemplative? <laughs> I think I'm probably an activist in practice. But that question, should we be human beings or human doings, I've always been so firm that we should be human beings. So I don't know if I need to change my look on one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Yes, because he didn't. He didn't just say, "Oh no, just human beings." There's, there's something. There's something about there's a both and about that we do can, can yeah. do things as well. But maybe like in Elijah's story, that sometimes being a human being, there's benefits. <laughs> that Elijah took that time and he, he was he sat in in that peace and he heard God in the gentle whisper. Yeah. Um, and refound his hope and refound his uh, his purpose. God called him, recommissioned him to something. So you said, what was it you said about getting, focusing on the right things or something to do with Elijah? Can you remember? Uh, yeah, that, um, that, so Elijah had gone through this hard, terrible life journey and so this guy's out to kill him and really God's, and really he says to God, he goes, all right, maybe if you just hate me, it'd be better. Yeah. If you just ended or wipe me off this planet. Yeah. Um, but uh, God totally shifts Elijah's focus right at the end and he says, he says, look, there's these 7,000 other believers set aside in uh, in Jerusalem, I think, or in Israel. Yeah, um, Israel, yeah. And, and I, it's got to be an, a, like an, a proper O moment for Elijah to go, ah, oh, yeah, that, that's important. Yeah. That This shifting of his focus from mm-hmm. just his own circumstances, but that were quite dire, yeah. <laughs> to something else as well. Well, I think that's it, isn't it? It's a shifting around... Just him looking at himself and his own circumstances and thinking it's all about him. Mm. But in the end, realising that God's got more going on in the yeah. world than he can see. Yeah. And I guess in that sense, allowing God to be God and not mm-hmm. taking over and not thinking he's got to deliver everything for God to achieve his purpose. Yeah. Which totally, I think, releases pressure from him as well. Yeah. I think sometimes, um, I'm sure you've heard me in a church leader that, oh, I need to, you know, I have to do this and that and I've got to make sure that I tick the boxes in my preach on, on Sunday or whatever I talk about and it becomes this checklist rather than this this thing that God is just doing yeah yeah, yeah. so it's yeah Let, letting God do the work and, and then he talked Steve talked a lot about really a lot, the way that Jesus did what his father uh, you know what what he saw his father doing rather and yeah that sense and I, I really liked actually what he said that that's not always the same thing yeah, sometimes yeah, it's yeah. healing one person sometimes it's stopping in order to help someone sometimes it's going to a new place when everything's going well and that freedom I guess to 
um, to just do what you feel like the father's saying and not yeah. what everyone's expecting of you is, is incredibly difficult and profound I think mm-hmm. yeah absolutely especially in this time what see talking about what does church look like now and how should that change and uh, and we went on to have a little conversation about what that looks like for each of each of us and now in this household and this situation and, and in his situation as well and and the fact that also us thinking about yeah, actually it's okay that that's different and if that's different and what what churches are doing you mean yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah and so and that sense of comparison between what churches are doing doesn't matter it's a matter of what's God doing doing what God's saying and therefore slowing it down finding peace stopping yeah. resting and letting activity flow out of that what did he call it a still centre or something yeah something like that yeah it's good it's good and it, I think it properly frees up the church to do something that you said talking about being different mm. than, than so what was community like before coronavirus what does it look like now and that can be different and that can be good or even better in some in some, some ways. ways. Yeah, yeah, we can learn. Yeah, we can learn to find community more now than than anything else. So, so for us, when we're asking this question, what does thriving look like? And we feel really frustrated because we can't do something. Yeah, I think he talked about pruning, didn't he? And the pain of pruning, if you like, of when the things that you do that give you value, that you get self worth from, are taken away. It's a good feedback mechanism to go and stop, yeah, yeah, and find God, and let God rest his, you know, rest into God. Find my identity again in Him above all else, so that as activity still happens. Actually, it's you know we're still busy in different ways, yeah. but but it's but there are things that are chopped away <laughs> that would have been value bringing for me, for example. You know, no, let the Spirit of God give the value first of all again operate at a still centre and uh, yeah, let, let things flow out of that. It's a big challenge and I think it, you know, that question is really faced with us strongly in order to thrive. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we really hope that this, uh, this conversation has challenged you in some ways but also has shown you that you don't have to be looking for the things to do that you can sit back in that. Um, be free to be a little contemplative if you're an activist and <laughs> But also feel free to take a little more action. <laughs> Great. Uh, God bless you all. I hope you've enjoyed it uh, this week. We're looking forward to next week. Uh, we've got one lined up. Great one lined up for you for next week. So we'll uh, see you then. Yeah.